I am Brooklyn-based psychotherapist Nikita Banks, and I am your host of the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. If you would like to reach out to us for feedback or show suggestions, show topics, guest ideas, please feel free to contact us at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can sign up to our mailing list at blacktherapistpodcast.com. You can listen to new or past episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. And if you want to sign up to our mailing list or our free mental health course, text GET HAPPY to 66866. Let's get started. Hey guys, so on this episode of the Black Therapist Podcast, we have that yoga dude himself, MFT, which is a marriage and family therapist, James Woods. He comes to us this week to discuss the unique interdisciplinary practice of using yoga into your therapeutic practice. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this interview because it was great. Okay, okay. So this week, the book. I know that you guys have been hearing me talk about this book that I wrote, Finding Happy Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy. It is up and live for pre-order on Amazon.com. So if you want to buy my first book, Finding Happy Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy, hit the link in my bio and all my social media stuff. You can check it out on my webpage at Nikita Banks. Dot com is in I K I T A just like TV show banks.com and check out the book if you bought the book make sure to send me a picture of the book and no well a physical copy of the book you're not even gonna be able to get a physical copy of the book until like next week because in terms of Amazon I haven't uploaded it yet But if you have a digital copy of the book, you can make sure to uh, tweet me some things in the book that resonates with you. This is a different kind of relationship book because it talks about how to navigate the difficult relationships you have in your life currently. It's not really a relationship book in terms of how to get you a partner or how to get you a mate, but it definitely is a book to help you navigate problematic relationships that you have in your life that are either of your own choosing or some that are situational like co-workers or friends or family well friends are they're kind of of your choosing but sometimes we have friends that we've had for a really long time and we just don't want to get rid of them that's a whole nother matter but family family is the relationships that we have to navigate they're probably our most difficult most challenging to deal with and we don't get to choose them Right? These are relationships that we have that we, we didn't get to choose or, or if we wanted to be friends with this person or if we must know this person. All of a sudden, they're our sisters, our mothers, our brothers, our fathers, our uncles, grandmas, whatever. And we're stuck with what we get. So it's very stressful for the many of us to learn to navigate these relationships, especially if they're dysfunctional, especially if you're healthy and you're healing and they are not. You... you you have to learn how to, you have to learn tips and strategies on how to navigate them. And we cover that in the book. Okay, so the book is up 
for pre-sale right now. It comes out in a few days, which is my birthday, October 11th. It will be available. You will actually be able to get a hard copy of the book by October 11th or at least order it. And like I said, share a picture of you with the book on social media if you loved it. Um, give me feedback if you don't like it because I I aim to please and I want to get better. So we're going to get into this week's episode. So I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, introduce yourself. So that yoga dude, I mean, that's usually yoga and black men is kind of not something I put together. So how did you come to uh, your practice through mindfulness? I came through my practice mindfulness because I needed it for myself. Working in the community as a therapist and really taking on a lot of family cases and taking on a lot of the trauma in the community. I needed something for myself, and I've always been working out, like football in high school, always been in the gym and active, and actually one of my supervisors told me about yoga. She was an older white lady, and she was a hippie kind of white lady, and hey, she try some yoga? Well, okay, something to add to my repertoire and working out and maybe increase my flexibility. So I got there, and I got to my first class of yoga, and it was a bunch of older women in there. So I'm, I'm coming in, ego full blast, and then I'm just going to do some crazy stuff. And a couple of downward dogs later, I was shaking and ready to just bow out. It was killing me, but after I felt amazing. I felt great. I felt clear. I felt more relaxed. It felt like the world and stress was released from me. So I kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And then I had the opportunity to get into a yoga teacher training. So to get certified, you have to go through a yoga teacher training process. And there's various ones. Uh, this one happened to be a walking distance of my house. I walked by the studio one day and they were having an auction for yoga teacher training. And I got my bed in there and it was something I can afford at the time. Things just lined up and I've been doing yoga and teaching yoga, practicing yoga ever since. Okay. So you are a certified yoga instructor as well as a therapist? Correct. How did those two worlds intersect? <laughs> I mean, I understand it's part of your self-care, but I, I don't. Like, do you actually use the yoga piece of it in your practice? Yes, I do. <gasps> so, okay. <laughs> a huge part of yoga is the breath, being able to breathe. So getting people to be aware of their breath when they are going through emotions, when they are having sensations and feelings and thoughts. And bringing back to the breath is a huge part of it. So I do a lot of breath work practices with clients and a lot of mindfulness practices with clients, which I learned through yoga. And in working in schools and working with youth, um, I teach classes yoga and pretty much call them yoga and wellness classes. So we are able to get the youth pretty open by doing the physical practice. They're stretching, they're breathing, they're connected together. After that, um, then they're able to talk, they're able 
to share. They want to share. So it's a mind-body approach where you start to open up through the body and the movement and the mind, and then you're able to share and you can connect and do some clinical work. Okay, so let me pause right now to clear this deeper. Um, because I know you have some background noise, but you got a beeper? We still got beepers in 2018? No, it's a beeping. It wasn't a beeper. <laughs> it was a beeping thing on another device. Um, oh, I was like, wait a minute now. Hold up. So, um, I inadvertently earlier said mindfulness because when I think of mindfulness and therapy, that goes together. I actually took a mindfulness course in class. I learned about, you know, some, I actually used some mindfulness practice with my clients. I did a, taught an anxiety group uh, years ago, maybe like three or four years ago. And I definitely used uh, binary beats as well as some meditative uh, work. And I learned about just thought um, theories and being able to to use the body, nonverbal communications, and um, the way you show up in, in in therapy as a way to kind of inform how I deal with my clients and making them more in tuned with their their bodies as well. But when I said mindfulness, I jumped the gun. <laughs> Because immediately I think of mindfulness, I don't think of yoga. But you said you you use both. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about yoga as being a physical fitness practice, which in largely is in the West. But yoga stems from a full mind, body, spirit practice. The, the development of yoga is to be able to get the body prepared to connect with the mind and the spirit. But here in the West, it looks like what you do in a 24-hour fitness as you sweat in your nice pants. So really bring it back to the essence of yoga, of being able to connect your mind, your body, and your spirit through the breath, through the movements. Um, yoga has a deep meditation practice. That yoga is a practice of meditation. It is a physical meditation when you're moving and breathing. What helps to align you with your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings. And I feel like clinical practice, a lot of our Western clinical practice focus solely on the, the mind, thinking, thought process, and we're starting to move into a more holistic whole mind, body, spirit, and that is really just implementing the Western, the Eastern practice, including uh, the, the spirit of yoga coming from Africa. So we know India had a huge impact in yoga, but Africa was Africa had a big part in developing yoga, as well as we know about the comedics yoga and the yoga lesson from um, the ancient regions of Egypt. And we see the hieroglyphics where the people were doing yoga postures and talking about breath and talking about uniting the mind, the body, and the soul, and the spirit. So I think as we, we put these labels on as mindfulness, but it really is that holistic mental, physical, spiritual practice that we are bringing into the Western thought of psychology and therapy and mental health. It's not just, okay, how are you thinking right now? It's not just, how can we formulate your past traumas into your current behaviors based on what you're thinking? No, no, we have to bring it all in here. You have 
have these effects on your body when you're anxious. You feel certain things. You have effects on your mind when you're anxious. There's a sense of anxiety within your spirit, however you want to look at that. So yoga is one of the vehicles that works to implement all of the skills that I have. I can speak for myself. My clinical skills, skills from the MFT, as well as the yoga skills, as well as the being being aware of developing as a whole person, not just a person that is supposed to function in society in this way, but as a person that feels things, that is connected to spirits, a higher, lower spirit, and just whatever you want to label it as. But it is really a process of reconnecting through as many of the arts that we have, including yoga and clinical therapy that we can. Okay. That's that's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. Um, <laughs> um, it is a lot to it, like I said, because a lot of perception of yoga is that it is uh, something skinny white women do. I don't. I don't get that. Well, I mean, I guess because I've I've gone to certain yoga classes, and I I live in a neighborhood that's changing now. But you know, my gym was predominantly black, so just getting in there and doing some some yoga poses it is something that you have to kind of be in tune with your mind you have to pay attention to your body um so i do see it as more of a physical activity because it was something i was taught in my gym Mm -hmm. but having a, a, a clinical background and a clinical training of the mindfulness i know definitely the the breathing and the, it, it's it's extremely relaxation relaxing to me to um do to do mm-hmm. yoga yeah yeah definitely and it, it is a, it's a vehicle to carry yourself to that relaxation and that sense of openness if we think of clients coming in physically tight mentally being restricted after yoga you lay in the savasana posture or you lay in the posture you're able to breathe you feel less restricted in your mind and less restricted in your body and that's a great place to start with some clinical practices mm-hmm. and so why do you think that well how, how does this benefit children because you said that you go in schools and do it and I know that there's a lot about meditation and meditate, meditative practices um, not including yoga in schools but you know what when my son was in school here in, in Brooklyn he actually took a yoga course which I thought was like what <laughs> but he needed it <laughs> right uh, it because of that self-awareness piece which leads to that self-regulation piece instead of hurrying up and after that jump in the class and running to the pencil sharpener or whatever you can take that breath and you can really have a thought about what your needs are and be aware of the sensations and the feelings in your body and the thoughts in your mind just like when you're in a yoga class you have to be aware of where you're placing your foot you have to be aware of maintaining breath as you move through different postures as you spend that time alone with yourself it's a developing practice that continues through adulthood for a lot of these youth when they start the yoga because there's nothing in education that teaches them about awareness that teaches them about themselves it's always external but yoga is a practice of learning about yourself and hey you would ever do this posture this yoga move yesterday but today you're not able to do it what's the difference was it something that you ate 
making you angry. It's, it's something going on. So we do those, and then when the, the students are able to process it, talk about it, and implementing um, implementing stories into it. Uh, we implement stories of uh, like Shaka Zulu, and we tell the story through the physical postures, and they align those physical postures with the empowerment that we use in the story as well. Okay, when Shaka was angry, he was able to take a deep breath and think clearly and move forward. And this is the move that we do in this. So it really helps to give them tools, just like um, in our clinical sessions, we get tools. Okay, whenever this happens, you can do this. That's amazing. I think it. I think it's dope. But I, I was literally talking to another clinician uh, previously about how hard it is to be self-aware and to be introspective and to make the connections between, you know, what you're taking in, uh, whether it's energy, whether it's food, whether it's people, whether it's you know information, whether it's trauma. Emotions, whatever situations, what we're taking in, and what we what the outcome is, and I think that anything that could help, especially our children, become more self aware and self reflective, is is definitely a good thing. So most people say that it's really, really, really hard to either meditate and do yoga. What do you think those barriers are? The biggest thing I would say, whenever I mention yoga, somebody say, oh, I'm not flexible enough. And the, like I said, when we, when we conceive yoga as a fitness thing, we put it in that realm of, I have to make my body do these things. I have to make my body lift this amount of weight or put this ball in the basket. And it's the opposite, where wherever your body is, that's where you need yoga at. So if you can't do a full split, that's cool. You do what you can to feel the stretch, to feel the release in your body. So you need center on your body. Once you get on your mat, that's the only thing that matters is everything that is on that mat. So it really, once people are able to cross that barrier, it is also the release of that ego that we have where we're focused externally on what somebody's going to think about me, what somebody's going to say, what do I look like. When you close your eyes and you tune into your breath, it's just you and your body. And so that's only a skill within itself. And in meditation, I think a lot of people, and I know we, we have not been taught to stay still. We have been taught that if you're not moving, you're not doing nothing. You got to be productive. You have to be physical. You have to go, 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 go. So to be able to turn off all that go, go, go for our entire lives to sit there and be still is definitely difficult for people to conceive of as being, as doing anything, especially doing something good for yourselves. So there are a lot of different ways you can meditate. Um, you can meditate using, as you see, the beads are more popular now. Um, you can meditate, do a walking meditation. Yoga is actual physical meditation. 
and a lot of people's perception of meditation is, oh, I have to clear my mind. No, it's not about clearing your mind. It's about being in tune with your mind, meaning being okay with your thoughts and the things that are going with your mind. Because your brain is going to do what your brain do. Your brain is wired to think. Let it think. Let it do it. But instead of trying to control it, instead of trying to fight it, instead of trying to steer your thoughts in another way, focus on your breath. Focus on your pacing, your walking. Focus on other, other thing else. You have to turn the chatter in your mind into background music. You have to let it be what it's going to be as you focus on something like your breath or um, parts of your body to keep you in control or not even control, keep you mindful of what's going on, being present. Because I thought you were going to take us to the past, thoughts are going to take us to the future. But your breath is your breath, your breath is right here, your ankle is your ankle, your ankle is right here. So staying in the moment is the biggest thing with meditation. It's allowing your mind and your body to do what it's going to do we find it that's kind of meditation so really a practice and allowance and acceptance is the meditation and, and, and for me I use I don't know what the beads are um, can you tell them what the beads are if you ever seen Lebo Kofetine when she's like praying on the Buddha beads um yeah, they have like some beads um, and several different practices, even the rosary beads. When you're counting the beads, it's a meditation because your mind is on nothing but counting those beads. So I'm stressed out, I'm anxious, I'm thinking about my bills, but just for that time, I'm saying my prayer, I'm saying my meditation, I'm counting on those beads, that is my only focus. So it allows me to recharge, allows me to really take a break from that anguish and that mental stress to feel like what it is to be outside of that. And just by being there physically counting something, um, and it can be counting beads. Well, let me find out, let me find out, uh, counting sheep was meditation. Yes, it is. That's exactly right there. I didn't even think about that until now. How I how I've been taught to meditate was to the thoughts are going to come, acknowledge them, respect them, be kind to them, and allow them to move forward. Yes, yes. Like that's that's usually how I I I do it when I do it. But like I said, what has really helped me is binary beats. So I used to teach a a course in. Uh, <laughs> uh, marijuana reduction, use, marijuana use reduction. Okay. And it was a harm reduction um, class that I, I did in the courts. If you came to me, that meant you were arrested for smoking marijuana out in the public. Okay. And we would, um, they would come through this program through the Court of, of Innovations where I worked. And we would you know, have a conversation about alternative uses or alternative ways to relax. And so a lot of people would smoke marijuana for, you know, enlightenment. They would smoke marijuana because it gave them good ideas. They would smoke marijuana because it made them relax. So we were talking about other, which I know, yoga and meditation, it does all of those things. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. At different levels. But what one of the guys suggested was that we use an he uses an app to help him meditate and it was called um, Binary Beats. So I downloaded this app 
It's the first time I've ever like meditated in my life. Downloaded this app at home. I was like, I want to see if this thing works. So I get in my room, you know, I'm because I'm too busy. I'm a New Yorker until I die. So New York energy is anxious and depressed all the time. Like we always vacillate between anxiety and depression here because the city, the pulse of the city moves way too fast. Um, so I didn't turn my TV off. I just muted it because, mm-hmm. of course, I needed the bright lights. And I put this my headphones in. I turned the the aid down low, and I listened to it. And as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking of my happy place. Mm-hmm. And as I'm thinking of my happy place, I'm quiet. My door bedroom door is closed, and all of a sudden, I heard laughter. Mm-hmm like a loud burst of laughter and it was so loud like it 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 scared me mm-hmm. and then I recognized it was me but it literally like I literally in the moment like I was so out of my consciousness that I got up and like looked around to see check where my I was because I was like wait a minute what the hell just happened and who the hell is laughing like, is that common? Yes. I would definitely say yes. I have I spent two weeks in New York and I left exhausted. There's so much going on, so much energy, so many people, so many things. So to be able to spend any amount of time with yourself in a place of quiet, in a place of awareness, and that allows things to come up, to come up. So it could be something that you want to laugh at for a long time. It could be something that you're funny it could be something that you're sad at it's been some meditations where I burst out in tears just crying and not knowing where it's coming from so there's a lot of things within us that are able to be released when we finally quiet and as you said just acknowledge the thoughts and let them go and let them pass so being able to give ourselves that time and that space helps us to get familiar with ourselves on a mental and emotional and spiritual level so it, I definitely have a regular practice of meditation where it really starts to break down what I've built up to keep me away from the things that I, I'm not ready to face or um, not comfortable looking at. So various things pop up. Like I said, laughter, tears, anxieties, things just pop up. And the clinical piece is a great place to put those things that pop up after they do. So, yeah, definitely things are going to come up when you do some yoga. Um, I've had some yoga, uh, some meditation. I've had some yoga classes where all of a sudden we laying down, we go into a pose, and someone just start crying. Something came up for them, and it's just a, a huge emotional release for them. I've heard that. I've never experienced that. When I when I'm doing yoga though, I'm like so focused on the pause. I mean the pose and what my body is doing. I don't think I'm 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 really ever absent a thought in that space. But with meditation, yes. So these are these are all you know, out there, right? New age seems to be like hokey right. <laughs> um, practices. Do you find that there's any pushback from, you know, you know, 
older conservative black people or um, Christians about this because I've literally had to have conversations with some of my Christian friends who were like, oh, you know that that it's not, you know, there's no meditation in the Bible or that's not, that's against the word. And I'm like, show me where, mm-hmm. show me how. Yes, to be sure I have where I've even saw other yoga classes that they call it stretching. They call it um, Christian mindfulness or something like that. They put a name on it because just a lack of awareness, I believe, because as they say, you meditate on the word. Let there be breath. Let there be light. Those are just other ways to implement what we are doing in yoga and meditation. We breathe and we enlightening ourselves mentally. We're spending time with ourselves. Um, you know, as we sit quietly by the river. We sit quietly by the river inside of us. What's going on within us? Well, the Bible says, be still and know. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I don't think it gets any clearer than that. Right. I think a lot of people who have misconceptions, um, Sometimes the religion is, is not built around uh, people giving of themselves. And that's, I mean that there, but in meditation practice, it is. And there's, um, you know, if, you, if somebody's meditating on the devil, that's on them. That's, that's what they're doing. But meditation and prayer are aligned. If you sit there mm-hmm. and spend yeah. time with your higher power, spend time with yourself, with all the tools that they gave you to be here, breathing and using your mind, it is a prayer, it is a meditation, it is an alignment with um, most spiritual beliefs that are out there. Spend time with yourself and, and be aware of with the breath. Um, so it is, it, it is a, a practice, it is a spiritual practice that connects you with you and your higher power. And there's no intermediaries necessary, which can be threatening to some people who believe that they need an intermediary to be of any good or be of any value to not be um, full of sin. So it can be conflicting to some people who have those opposite ideas, but once you look into it, we're breathing, we're stretching, we communing with our highest power, bottom line. I was, I, I was of the, the, the mindset that praying is you talking to God and meditation is you listening for him to talk to you. And so, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know personally where the conflict is. But we could be here all day talking about intermediaries and people believing what they are told about the Bible rather than reading the Bible or whatever your holy book is and having a personal, intimate relationship with not only the scripture, but the the practice. Right. And it could yeah. be some of relationship with the DSM that doesn't align. And that could be their, their, their book that they refer to that if it ain't aligned with the DSM, then it can't be possible in speaking with the clinicians who feel like, hey, it's, if it's something that we can't put in DSM or can't fix with these practices that we know and have known uh, before, these different modalities, then we're not open to it. So, Do you, do you, do you find mm-hmm. the way we are taught to treat people of color are is adequate? The way that we are taught to treat people of color in clinical? Yes. No. Um, I'm sorry, I said DSM, Diagnostic Statistical Manual. 
Um, Thank you. inclusivity and there, there has to be a lot more leeway in the way we treat our our um, people and mm-hmm. dealing with both mental health mental health stuff but also you know clinically medically because we are the the authorities of our culture mm-hmm. and what may work for some may not work for all and we all know that there's not a lot of research that goes into our communities not a lot of dollars spent into maintaining and keeping us healthy uh, because that's not where the money is the money really is in our pathology and it mm-hmm. is in our you know being medically un- unsound right yeah. right and it is it's it is a system aligned with keeping us sick. And even if we're not sick, sometimes it can make us sick. Mm-hmm. That is not profitable. Being healthy and strong of mind is not profitable and is not good for the current system in place. Because then we, we, we're seeking our freedom from it. And yeah. they can't have that. Well, we're a short-term country. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't make any long-term planning. Because in the in the short term, we should spit chart. We we should make education equitable, and make mm-hmm. sure that if in order for you to go to college, you have to spend all of this money to make it unobtainable for everybody. But in the long term, we're not going to have enough doctors, and there's not going to be enough lawyers, and there are not going to be enough professionals to sustain us as a country. So we are very good. We're very you know, reactive and short-term thinking country. Right. And um, I, I feel like we're starting to realize that those terms are coming to an end and mental health is going to be even greater of a concern when those terms come to an end, um, especially for us black folks and especially for the people who find black folks as a threat. You know, the terms come to an end of, okay, we did this and because we were trying to get this quick money and we were trying to make a buck quickly, but now all that, the things run dry. And we have these, all these black folks who have needs and they need attention and stuff like that. Um, that makes them scared. We, we, I feel like we are living in a time of, of fear from those who have had power uh, right now, especially electing someone who propagates that fear. And 
mostly black folks living under that oppression. It's like, okay, um, now NASA is, it's like stepping lightly around NASA because he pissed off or whatever like that. And just the emotions and feelings of the people in power, their fear and anxiety affects us. Not in the same way as a, as a slave plantation, but it does. Um, I mean, the, the mental health of black people has changed with the new elected uh, president. As in people are more concerned, people are more irate, people are more anxious. So it's like, okay, once again, we got a new answer. Now we got to navigate that space. And we're going to need to be aware of our mental health to do it and not just step straight into those fear and anger reactions that can in the past has led to violence on both sides so it is really crucial for us to understand what is going on externally and internally with the mental health of us as individuals the mental health of us as a community and the mental health of the um, United States as a whole it's 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 all important and pertinent to us healing and staying well and staying safe mm-hmm yeah, it's not easy. No. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not easy. What inspired you to uh, enter the field? I was inspired to go into the field initially because I didn't like math and psychology was a major where I can dodge math. And it was interesting. I've always been a curious person. I've always been a person who uh, listen to people. And it really fit into who I was as a person, as a person in the psychology field. And then I wanted to have a deeper understanding of myself as I learned the MFT, even for a master's into it. So it, it is still constantly uh, an investigation into myself as I learn more about this field and learn more about other people within it. So this field keeps my interest, and it is. It is really feeling like I'm serving my purpose by being able to use my skills, my knowledge, and my talents to help other people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's what we all need to, to, to do. You know what I mean? Just kind of do what we can where we are with what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, how does being a black clinician inform your practice? Being a black clinician informs my practice like being a black man in the world, period. I'm going to give that head nod. I'm going to speak from my experiences of blackness. I'm going to share from my experiences of blackness in my clinical practice as well. And if there's someone on the other side of me who is not in the, the black experience, it really helps me that I don't have that so I can learn about them and share about them. But if they are black, it gives us some points that we can connect in. And working in the field as a black clinician, especially as a male black clinician, it's important for me to be um, seen and to work with as many black males as possible because, especially here in California, the majority of clients are going to be Latino. But then the unproportional majority is going to be black and black men. So you, you don't see us represented as greatly out here in um, California, but you do see us highly represented in um, the prisons and uh, foster and group homes. So for young men and 
see a black man on the other side of um, the couch, for lack of a better term, is important for them and their empowerment and their mental health. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have an event coming up. Tell the people about your event. Meditation is coming up. Facebook page and your Instagram page, but tell the people how they get get you. Okay. Instagram page for myself is that Dude, D as in dog, A as in apple, T as in Tom, Yoga Dude at G, at Gmail, also also at uh, Instagram, also on Facebook, and the website for what we do in schools and organization is www.feelfree. The number two feelfree.net. And for our books, we have some children's books that help youth to learn about meditation and yoga 
through a full color illustrated book called Timmy Tut, and you can check out that and purchase at PrinceTimmyTut.com. Once again, PrinceTimmyTut.com. KillFromTheFearFood.net, PrinceTimmyTut.com. Add that you'll do for social media. Perfect. Once again, we want to thank our guest, James Woods, that yoga dude, and let you guys know if you guys are in Riverside, California on October 13th and you are free, he's having an event called the Million, wait, let me get it right. I don't want to screw this up. Million Man Meditation. And it is an an event for uplifting the African-American male youth and providing education on health and wellness through meditation and yoga, okay? So if you guys are there and you want more information, you can contact him at a million man meditation on Instagram. You've listened to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, we want to say thank you for joining us. And if you want to sign up for our mailing list or advertise or be on the show, make sure that you, nope. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss. M-S-N-I-K-I, thanks, on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com, as well as the show's website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you want to send us any general feedback, show suggestions, uh, show topics, or guest ideas, please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Be well.